This is the Baymall Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host Brent Billings. Today we examine the short, often forgotten, and confusing book of Jude. Just what is Jude talking about? It's a good intro right there, huh? Sure. So what is Jude talking about? Well, before we get into it, or maybe, maybe more appropriately, after we're all done, uh, it may be helpful for many to go back and review uh, the episode, The Letter of Second Peter. Not even our episode, just go back and look at The Letter of Second Peter. The two are incredibly similar, Second Peter and Jude. If you remember in our episode, I kept referencing, we're going to talk about that in Jude. We're going to talk about that in Jude. We'll wait till Jude to cover that. And it's because they're so similar uh, in their content and in their structure. Like a student of the two books would swear that they were together in the same room when they penned their respective letters. The context of Jude is similar to that of Second Peter in that Jude is concerned about the false teachers who are leading God's people into horribly destructive practices. These pagan practices are leading God's people to compromise in the areas of idolatry and sexual immorality because they want to advance in the Roman system, hungry after wealth, prestige, power, and influence. Which sounds a lot like the culture of, what is that, Brent? Remind us, session three? That would be Hellenism. Absolutely. Hellenism. One might remember the guild systems that we've, how much have we, we've we've, we've dove into the guild systems, right? We've talked about, we're going to do it in Revelation, but... uh, we talk about guild systems, right? Guilds. I believe we have. I talk. I teach. Oh man, I go around and teach so much. I always forget what I've done on the episodes and what I haven't. Um, well, let's let's just review right now in case we haven't. We did talk about guild feasts specifically in our episode on First Corinthians. Okay, excellent. Oh yes, that's where that's where we would have talked about. So these episode one fifty six. So we talked about how the guild was a combination between what and what, Brent? We said a, a cross between a uh, like a union, a yeah. workers' union, and. Um, College fraternity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Right. So you had a labor union and a college fraternity put two together. You kind of get like a, this guild that had the, you know, we are for each other. We're protecting each other and the labor part of it, like the union aspect, but it also had like a brotherhood. We, we partied together. We have a fraternity together. It had that aspect to it as well. And these all revolved around idolatry and sexual immorality at those guild feasts that we've spoken of before. This is, and this is not just like a side show in the Roman world. This is what it meant to be a working class citizen in the Roman Empire. That may be overstated a little bit, but not overstated enough that you could make it a sideshow. It, it was status quo. It was the way that you did things if you were a part of a vocational trade in the Roman world. If we're going to find financial peace and security in this Greco-Roman culture, it's going to come at a price. And they will have to sell themselves to the idolatry of their culture. Now, I hope to circle back around before we're done in our episode today to that idea. But that is the leading driving idea here we want to keep in mind. So we'll circle back around here in just a second. But this is the setting, and Jude seems to be concerned. How about you give us the opening verses here to our letter, Brent? Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people 
who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So there are apparently teachers within the movement who are using God's grace and promise of free forgiveness to say it's acceptable to engage this Roman culture of debauchery. They are saying compromise is the way to success. But Jude says that they make a mockery of the way of God. He also claims this problem is nothing new. God's been speaking to his people about this for some time, and Jude's now going to show that this is the case. So this is going to be a very Jewish Jude having a very Jewish argument um, in a Jewish context. He's, He's going to show them this is not something new. This is the way that God's always invited his people to live. So go ahead and keep reading the next few verses here for us. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Okay, all throughout this letter, Jude's going to attack these things in arguments of three. There's going to be three art, like the three groups, three pieces, three. There's going to be a threeness to his arguments. There's going to be three groups here that Jude points out. And notice who these three groups are. Drawing off of the Hebrew text and Midrash, he speaks of the destruction of the idolaters who were destroyed at the golden calf in the Exodus. He draws off the Midrash of First Enoch, by the way. We're going to put in our show notes a couple links for First Enoch. Uh, the Wikipedia article actually is titled The Book of Enoch. Um, but we're going to want to reference it as First Enoch. You'll find out more if you read the Wikipedia article. It's a pseudopigraphal. That's a fun word. Pseudepigraphal, meaning not in the canon. It's not in your biblical canon. Uh, apocrypha would be another word that we often use. It's a pseudepigraphal work that shows up in ancient Midrash all throughout Jewish literature. So not all apocryphal works, not all pseudepigraphal works are Jewish Midrash. This one happens to be Jewish Midrash. Um, and I know that we're going to raise a whole bunch of questions. What do you do about First Enoch? What do you do about the biblical canyon? Shouldn't we be studying the Apocrypha? Shouldn't we be studying all this stuff? There's lots of good arguments to be had. I really don't have a dog in the hunt. I really don't care. The whole argument kind of annoys me because there's so much that we need to learn just about the Bible. And you've heard me say, I like our canon. Brent, let me say it again. I like our canon. And we're going to talk a lot more about that canon in session five. We are. We are. We're going to talk more about our canon. I like it. I don't know if it's perfect and flawless, but it's flawless enough for me. Uh, I like our Bible. I'm not trying to tear it apart. Flawless enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I don't mean flawless as in like not inspired. I mean like the canon, like the way we, did we get all the books right? Did we, uh, I'm fine. I'm fine with the Bible that's given to me. You heard me talk about the one book that I had any issue with at all. What book was it, Brent? Joshua. No. No. It's a hard book for me, but I have no problem with the canon. Oh, that's a hard book. Okay. All right. What was the book that I was like, if I struggled with any book in the canon, which book was it? Little Bema trivia. I don't remember. Second Thessalonians. Oh, okay. All right, okay. The so, man of lawlessness. Yeah, 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 yeah. The man of lawlessness. But but I digress. I'm fine with the Bible as it sits. I don't think we're missing books. I don't think we have books that shouldn't be in there. Like I, I just I just don't yeah, cool. And study the apographa. That's great. Please do it. Like there are people that are really into the pseudopigrapha. 
do it. Like, study it. If you want to read the Book of Enoch, I have a, a second link in there that is the entire text of the book. Fantastic. And and Enoch is actually Midrash. So it's a great, like, people want to study the Midrash? There you go. It's one little piece of Midrash. There you go. It's not even that little. It's a pretty substantial text. <laughs> and it's tiny. And I don't know this Academy of Ancient Texts that I, I found uh, with the text of the Book of Enoch. Yeah. I don't know anything about the rest of the site. Right. So... I don't know what you're going to find on there. Yeah. We make no claim to anything other than the direct page that we link to is the text of the book of Enoch. Right. If you want to read it, there it is. And I'm sure there's translation issues, all that kind of stuff. Take a big deep breath. (sighs) Marty. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Okay. Marty just doesn't, I just don't, I just don't care. And that's awesome. And you can write me the email about all the, the pseudepigrapha. I just don't have an opinion. I want to study the Bible more. That's what keeps me up at night. That's what I want to dive into. I'm not saying it's wrong. I don't care. Just, it's awesome. But on the flip side, Brent Billings, on the flip side, let me, now let me do a a 180 degree spin. (laughs) Because on the other side of this are people that are always frustrated that I use the Midrash. Well, we're going to find out today that Jude is full of Midrash, like full of Midrash. Jude apparently seems to be A-OK with the Midrash. He is using it for whatever reason. There could be a whole bunch of, I don't know if he would say it's inspired. I'm I'm not making that claim at all. I'm just saying Jude uses the Midrash quite a bit. Jude is in our Bible. Jude's in the inspired word of God. So we're going to have to grapple with, well, Marty, you shouldn't be using the Midrash at all. Uh, Well, tell that to the book of Jude because I use the Midrash quite a bit. So enough. But there, there you have Jude is drawing off of the Midrash in First Enoch, and he speaks of the fallen angels. So he talked about the golden calf, group number one, the golden calf, golden calf in the Exodus. Group number two, the fallen angels, a reference to the sons of God. I want to talk about emails that I got sent. How about Genesis 6 and the Nephilim? Remember the Nephilim, Brent? We oh, I of, remember. We just kind of skipped right over that in session one. <laughs> well, we didn't dodge the emails. They come in on a regular basis. Uh, people want to know about the Nephilim. Well, well, here they show up here in the book of Jude, those Nephilim. And part of the reason we didn't cover it in session one is we didn't want to detract from the larger meta narrative that we were trying to build. We were trying to build a single threaded line of thought because the Midrash is deep and wide and brilliant and beautiful surrounding the Nephilim. I mean, there is a ton, a ton of stuff. Some of it coming right out of here in the book of Enoch. So group number one that Jude mentions is the golden calf folks in the Exodus. Group number two is the fallen angels in the Midrash surrounding Genesis 6, where Enoch says that they were punished for their disobedience. For those familiar with how this plays into Greek mythology, by the way, an explanation of which would be beyond the scope of what we're doing here in the podcast. You will realize that this is a reference to uh, wanting advancement through disobedient means. So if you know your Greek mythology, you know that what's going on here with the Nephilim and the book of Enoch is that there were angels that were wanting to advance their station by being disobedient. Jude also references group number three, Sodom and Gomorrah a story that is about our call to love and show hospitality to all people. It should be noted that this is the only biblical reference connecting Sodom and Gomorrah directly to sexual immorality. The 19 other references in the Old Testament always link Sodom and Gomorrah to the idea of pride, wealth, and failing to to take care of the poor. 
A good example would be Ezekiel chapter 16, 49, and the surrounding context, if anybody wanted to look at that. So the reason for linking this story to sexual immorality is the cultural context of Jude. Jude bridges that gap because of his context, not the hermeneutical context of the scriptures. His larger point is that they are, they are neglecting their true calling, love and hospitality, and engaging instead in the sexual immorality of their Roman world. So three groups, Brent, and three themes. Idolatry, sexual immorality, and underneath it all, a desire for wealth and influence. My point is to help us notice how culturally perfect these references are in Jude. Go ahead and read us the next little bit. Watch these same three themes, by the way. Watch these three themes keep showing up uh, in all the passages that we look at and read. Three groups, three themes repeated over and over again. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Have you ever um, read that passage? Not that we read the book of Jude all the time, but Brent, have you ever bumped into that and went, wait, wait, wait when did they argue over the body of Moses? <laughs> have you ever gone back to Deuteronomy and tried to figure out where that was? You're like, I mean, wait, I missed that passage. I mean, the NIV does helpfully provide a footnote. Yeah, you're yeah, excellent. Good footnotes. I don't think my old NIV did. Jude is alluding to the Jewish Testament of Moses, approximately from the first century AD. Perfect. So another reference to another Midrash. And Brent, you've put a couple links in there in a very similar way, yes? Yep. One to Wikipedia and then one to the text of the it's called the Assumption of Moses as well, but yeah. Okay. The, the links say the Assumption of Moses, it's the Testament of Moses, same thing. All right, you'll find that all out when you do your own study. So Jude talks about these false teachers who slandered true authority for the sake of advancement. Was that one of our themes, Brent? Yep. Okay. One might also note the reference to the beast nature or the sarks that we've been talking about all the way back in like the book of Romans. Because uh, did you hear that last uh, sentence there? Mm-hmm. Yep. Go, go ahead and read that. Uh, yeah, these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Notice instinct... Animal instinct, that's the sarks right there that we've talked about before. Irrational animals. They don't like... Yes. They're only instincts. Right. We also have instincts. Right. But we have the rational ability to overcome our instincts. They are definitely not listening to the story of Genesis 2 and 3 or 4 or Genesis at all. They are just being, following their beastly animal appetites, sinful nature. All right, I think we're uh, going to give us the next little bit. Brent, let's just keep walking through this, see where we uh, end up looking at these, looking for these three themes here showing up. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's heir. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. 
All right. And, and if you, again, if you've read Jude, you're like, man, this person is just crazy. Jude is crazy. Just all these references. I don't even know what he's talking about. But notice again, three groups, Cain, Balaam, Korah. The way of Cain, Balaam's error, and Korah's rebellion. There's a reference to Cain, which you might remember as a story about wealth and acquiring. And if you're like, wait a minute, it was about wealth and acquiring. I tried to touch on this with Foreman. If you read Foreman's book that we recommended, you definitely ran into this. Cain's name means to acquire. And one of Foreman's biggest ideas is the reason that Cain is struggling in the story of Cain, which leads to the murder of Abel, of El, is he's struggling because he's trying to acquire. He's trying to gain more from God. And because he's trying to gain more, Abel actually becomes a threat to that acquiring, and that's why Cain actually murders Abel. So there's a wealth and acquiring piece. Was that one of our themes, Brent? Absolutely. There was a reference to Balaam, who, according to the Midrash, told Balak to destroy the Israelites. Uh, Who is Balaam? Brent, let's remind our listeners. Book of Numbers, what does he do? Uh, he's like a prophet. Okay. And Balak asks him to come speak against the Israelites. Yeah. And he's got a donkey that talks and there's that whole thing. But then he gets there. But what does he, does he speak against the Israelites? No. He shows up, says, I can't do this. He does five oracles. All of them are blessings, pronounces blessings, does not curse the Israelites. And then the very next chapter in the book of Numbers with no segue is, can you remember Brent? No. The Moabite <laughs> women seduce the Israelites. Oh, Yes. And the Jews went, wait a minute, how did that, like, what? How did we just go from, like, Balaam to the Moabites seducing Israel? And when they looked at the story, they determined, well, Balaam must have in an attempt to save his own skin, because he's just made Balak really upset. In an attempt to save his own skin, he probably told Balak, just send your women down in there. And those Israelites, the Midrash literally uses this phrase, they are a horny bunch. That's what the Midrash says, not me. Uh... They're a horny bunch, and they'll fall for your women, and they'll fall for sexual morality, and they'll stumble into idolatry. So Balaam is about idolatry and sexual immorality. Is that one of our themes, Brent? Sure is. Sure is. All right. Uh, And there's also a reference to the story of Korah, who rebelled against authority. Was that one of our themes? Definitely. Absolutely. Same three themes over and over and over again. Read the next little paragraph, and let's see what we come up with. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness, and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. All right, so here Jude quotes directly from the book of First Enoch, just absolutely quotes it. And although this raises all sorts of good questions, it's not the point we're making at this moment for the podcast. The point is that Jude is quoting from their context to their context to make an incredibly relevant point for their context. So the point... The the, NIV does reference this as well in in the footnotes. Good Uh, job, NIV. First book of Enoch, approximately first century BC. So there you go. It is is in their immediate context. Absolutely. They would have been familiar with this. And, And Jude here... Uh, appears to be making a very, a very intentional, very systematic argument in that it's not just false teachers. Notice again, kind of what we talked about, I believe Second Peter, I think. We talked about how this wasn't about orthopraxy, or excuse me, it wasn't about orthodoxy, it was about orthopraxy. Like the false teaching was not like they were getting their doctrine incorrect. It was what they were telling God's people to do, I believe was the point we made in Second Peter. This is very intentional in the book of Jude. He's like, the point here is not that they're teaching some doctrinal heresy. 
the heresy that the, the problem here is what they're telling people to practice. These false teachers apparently have a lust for power and influence and wealth. And so because of that, they're actually encouraging people to engage in Greco-Roman culture, which is leading them to sexual morality and idols. You see those themes show up over and over and over again. Wealth, sexual morality, idolatry, a, a rebellion over authority. Those three things, trying to get influence so you can get wealth and do it through sexual immorality and idolatry. That's the false teaching that Jude is attacking here. Not a doctrinal heresy, but a practice heresy. A practice heresy. Uh, all right, that's, that's pretty good. How about we uh, work towards our closing here? Read us the rest of our uh, letter of Jude here. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirits. There's that Sarks again, animal appetites, not living according to the spirits, but living according to the flesh. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy, mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. One of my favorite benedictions in the New Testament. Jude reminds his readers to be faithful to the same three things we've been discussing the whole time. He calls them to purity and obedience, the opposite of disobedience. He calls them to respect the authority of God that is placed in their lives. He calls them to remain steadfast to the work of love and hospitality, committed to others, pure in their walk, respecting the teaching of the apostles, not giving into the temptations and idolatry of their world. And that is the book of Jude. Not an easy book, full, full of Midrash, probably full of relevance, but it's tricky to weed through all of it and find yourself at home in the book of Jude. But if we spent enough time there, pulled apart those Midrash references enough, I think we'd find that the book of Jude actually is really, really relevant for our world. Like, like we, we struggle with Hellenism maybe unlike any time since the Greco-Roman Empire. So there's a lot of relevance here in the book of Jude. We just have a lot of history and Midrash and First Enoch and the Testament of Moses and Pseudepigrapha. And it's tricky, but if you spend enough time dwelling there long enough, uh, I meant to look at the Bible Project's material on the book of Jude, and I never did. So uh, we should check it out sometime and see if it's helpful and any good. I'm going to throw a link in there. I trust them enough. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I have no idea what they're going to say. I might hate it, but I trust those guys. They do good work. <laughs> I don't have to agree with everything. It never hurts to have a, a second perspective. Just keep, yeah, we want to study. We want to spend time in the Bible. So yeah, throw a link of their uh, study on Jude. Put it in there. All right. Well, if you have any uh, thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, go to baymontdiscipleship.com. Get in touch with us there. So thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah.